0: Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region.
1: Good evening. I'm Jonathan Hessen, and this is yet another edition of TV7 Editor's Note. Joining me for today's program is my dear friend, colleague, and uh, mentor, uh, Colonel in Reserve Uvin Men Shalom. How are you? Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. It's great having you as always. And uh, also next week, you will be uh, joining us for yet another episode of of Editor's Note. But we have a lot to talk about. Before we do so, as always, I would like to start with prayer uh, and to ask all of you at home to join me uh, to do so. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity of uh, having uh, Ruven here with me at the studio to communicate about the situation uh, today around the world. Lord God, I pray that you'll guide the conversation, that whatever we do or say will be to your glory and that will benefit truly everybody watching right now at home. We do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Uven, um I'd like to start by communicating about the current state of play uh, of Israel. Of course, domestically, we're in a situation that is quite challenging. Um, we look around and there are near daily protests now about the judicial reform. Uh, I had a conversation with you about this last week uh, during uh, or before uh, we uh, recorded Jerusalem Studio and you said something that I very much appreciated and that is uh, the composition, the government's composition um, related to the current um Reform and everybody agrees that the reform is necessary, or at least most people agree that a reform is necessary. Um, Of course, it is a matter of deliberation. There are many things that need to be uh, plausibly adjusted to a certain degree. But if we put this one moment aside, one of the things that really concerns me, and I'm sure it concerns you and um, many people. ...throughout Israel and also the, the defense establishment and also people uh, abroad who support Israel and, and stand by Israel, there is a growing number of reservists, people who concluded their um, obligatory service and, and now they're, they're saying, look, if, if this reform goes through, we are afraid that it will harm Israel's democracy and will ultimately um, bring about a transformation in Israel that we are, we don't want to see something like this happen, and therefore we're making our voices heard in, in a way that we have power to influence, and that is in the military service. One of the largest parts, or the most substantive parts, if I may, within this context are pilots. Many of the pilots... Um, are infuriated by the lack of dialogue, I would want to say, within this context, since it is such a crucial matter. You being a pilot, a senior pilot at that, um, have participated in plenty of operations. How do you see this actually benefiting Israel on the one hand, but also challenging Israel on the other? Well, as we speak,
0: um, there are two camps, I would say, and they each wave a flag with a c- totally different narrative. Unfortunately, most issues that we debate, and also this, if we would get together and really crack this nut, you know, and talk about the essence itself, we could probably have a more fruitful dialogue. But just think about it. Everything we deal with, that's the way we are, right? Any topic we'll bring up, you'll are you on the right or on, on the left? Yes or no? Here... Um, this is a kind of debate that I don't think we have seen since the establishment of the state. And that is, are we going to be a democracy next month? Mm-hmm. Now, the supporters of this government um, hear that and they are baffled. They say, D- dictatorship? What are you talking about? This is a, a crucial reform. We're bettering the democracy. The other side is saying, no, this is the end of our democracy. So you see two camps that are not talking, they're not even talking the same language. You know, sometimes the way I speak, it sounds like I'm from the UN or something. I'm not. I'm not doing this on purpose. I, I, I truly believe this. You know, I have family and friends that are on both camps, believe both things. All passionate, devoted, patriot Israelis um, that want to better the situation in the country. As far as the the protests and especially the reservists now, that's a, that's a very disturbing issue. Why? Because people that are crucial for the defense of Israel right if they walk away there's no defense there's no defense there's no existence right crucial for the state of israel they are doing something that that actually could hurt our defense right now so in a way what are they saying they're saying because in two two weeks or two months we may see damage to israel because we will no longer be a democracy therefore we will already damage israel now right because this is a leverage to stop those other moves that the government wants to do right it's almost saying like it's, it's worth paying the price right now or maybe, in a way, destabilizing the situation right now. And it is destabilizing because our enemies watch, right? The enemies, Hassan Nasrallah uh, uh, of Hezbollah looks at this and he deduces from this that we are weak, that maybe his famous cobweb uh, he said so lecture was right. So, yet, again, I can't say who's right, who's wrong. I can say very strongly that people believe in what they say. So the reservists and the pilots, I don't see the pilots, by the way, different than anybody else, except the fact that the, the way the Air Force works is that day by day, the reservists are the ones that are doing the missions as we speak. It's a bit different than tank reservists or infantry reservists that we will call them in during wartime. The pilots, if they walk away right now, there's no Air
1: Force. Okay, I, th- I think uh, this is important for uh, all of uh, our viewers right now to understand. When we hear about alleged strikes... In Syria, in, in Iraq, or elsewhere, attributed to Israel, those same pilots who allegedly conduct those strikes are the next day in those protests.
0: Absolutely. So, the, the way our Air Force works, you go through pilot training, it's three years now, you sign on for a, another a block of years. Mm. But actually, after two or three years in the squadron, you get your basic qualifications, you go on and do other things. People that stay in the military, they can be instructors or staff work. But many leave the service. They become lawyers, doctors, have you know any other profession. And once a week, they go and fly. Right. So if you look at the squadron, the people that are flying missions every night, some of them are in service right now, but most of them are reservists. People come from their day jobs, do a brief, go out, fly, do a sortie, Throw bombs in Syria, come back, 3 o'clock in the morning they get home, 7 in the morning they go to, to their civilian job. It's hard to understand how this situation mm. uh, manages to, but it succeeded so far. But, you know, Jonathan, is a very important point I want to make. Why did it succeed? Not by issuing orders. Mm. Nobody can order civilians, a uh, 40-year-old pilot, to volunteer. You can't fo- it's, it's volunteering, right. which is why even the terminology that is being used now in Hebrew, uh, sarvan, how do you translate Salvan? Uh,
1: refuse. Uh, refuse
0: or insubordination. Right. It's, it's hard to tell a 35 or 40-year-old pilot, you're, you're, this is insubordination when the pilot says, listen, so far I volunteered. If the country goes in this direction that I do not perceive as a democracy anymore, I don't feel I will be able to volunteer anymore. Can I blame him? Mm. Good question. Of course, the question, you know, it's always a question. What is the right thing to do right now? And also notice that the pilots didn't get up and walk away. It's more rhetoric. It's more warning. It's more saying, if it goes in this direction, we will have a serious problem. And, you know, that's what's more concerning.
1: And the government takes note of this, obviously. And I think that this is something that tipped the scale at a certain point uh, with regard to the dialogue within the closed uh, rooms. Ultimately, uh, from at least what I hear... This is the first time that the government actually said, okay, we need to see how we engage in dialogue truly in order to mitigate those risks. Because ultimately, without many of those pilots, and it's not only pilots, it's people in the Mossad, people in the ISA or the Shabak, uh, people in, in, in military intelligence that continue, as you say, civilian lives, but when they go once a week, twice a week, sometimes a week a month, they ultimately are uh, very crucial, and they are volunteers, as right. you say. So, indeed, it's, it's not a matter of insubordination. It's, of course, a matter of, um, of dire importance for the security of the state of Israel. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the same time, this is something that I think um, our, our government and opposition needs to be responsible about. To, to engage in dialogue, to find a national consensus that will bring reform. Because all this reform, I, I read this reform maybe five or six times already. And every time I hear something new, I go back and I, I go through that. In most cases, what I hear is not true, but that's a different story. Um, when we look at the big picture, there needs to be here something that unites, And right now, there's such a divisiveness within Israeli society that the leaders might lose control of what may happen in the streets. And that is something that our enemies are looking at and are waiting. They're lurking around the corner.
0: You know that um, in Israeli uh, patriotic rhetoric, it's very common to to use terms like we are here forever and ever. Jerusalem is the united capital of Israel for eternity we came back we established the state of israel 75 years ago and we are here forever mm. that's ridiculous because history teaches us that that's not the way things work uh, great powers and us included have come and gone right people come they conquer they hold on to this uh, beautiful land for 80 years 100 years 200 300 years it's not promised okay you have to fight for it you have to be you have to be wise so in situations like we are now, we have to be really concerned about our very existence because the fabric of our society is really being torn. Mm. Now, it's not, of course, it's not only the reform. Imagine they would shelve the reform tomorrow morning. You know what? We surrender. No reform. Forget it. Are, are our problems over? Absolutely not. We have serious rifts in our society. The, the tribes, as pre- former President Rivlin called it, we have these rival tribes with different agendas, different beliefs. Uh, and they are pr- strongly promoting their agendas, and we're 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 not diverging. we're We're just uh, not clear where we're going with that with the internal dialogue.
1: Well, that's something obviously I'm praying for in in my day to day sessions, but ultimately, when I look at the big picture, you know the the document of independence, it always starts with uh, the State of Israel as a Jewish and democratic state in line with the prophets of old. It is a a vision that ultimately, as a secular leader, Ben-Guyon was very secular, he always referred to the Bible because the Bible was the foundation of everything. Now, matters of religion and state here in Israel are very problematic. Um, The ultra-Orthodox communities here are holding uh, much more power than their electorate actually provide. Um, But ultimately, when when we see the situation and we realize that there are red lines that Israel needs to take into consideration for its very existence, and as you say, to fight for it, it is something that is an ongoing struggle. We need those watchmen. You know, we we created a a production here called Watchmen Talk, obviously, Mm -hmm. with Amir Olin. And we see all those different generals and, and uh, diplomats and, and prime ministers and heads of Mossad and so on and so forth coming to the show, speaking about what they went through and the various challenges uh, that were very real back then, they're still very real today. And therefore I'd, I'd like to go into a, another topic, and that is this last Friday obviously we had, excuse me, we had uh, uh, the Jerusalem Studio production. And during that production, we spoke about the Mabam, the campaign between the war, in Hebrew, obviously. Mabam is the acronym thereof. And during that discussion, we talked about the necessity to limit Iran's entrenchment in Syria, its capacity to smuggle weapons from Iran into Iraq, from Iraq to obviously Syria and then to Lebanon, a clear red line for Jerusalem. But this has been going on for such a long time. Now, one of the most famous captures of a very substantive ship called the Karin A in 2002, if I'm not mistaken. January 2002. January 2002. um, Included a vessel filled with weapons of all sorts, pinpoint uh, intelligence-directed... the forces um, in there and bringing the forces to that place was yours truly, Colonel Rovin Shalom. You were part of that as uh, a pilot. What's, what can you tell us about that mission?
0: Well, first I planned the aerial part of the mission to, with the Navy that had the lead, and they did an incredible job. Uh, my job was to give them all the aerial assets and uh, you know, from locating the ship and tracking it and ultimately when they stormed the ship to give them all the air support and cover and medevac if necessary. Vital. But when the time came to launch the mission, I told uh, Chinese Aluf, Major 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 General General Mm -hmm. or Admiral, uh, Eliezer Marom, he was the commander of the mission, I told him that uh, there's so many assets, you need an uh, air support on the ground. That means you need an air advisor. Take me with you. Please take me with you. And he said, okay, if you don't throw up in the rehe- dress rehearsal, you can come. So I didn't throw up, and I mm. I joined the mission. So I was with them all the time, you know, at sea, uh, watching the, how it unfolded. What's amazing about that operation, of course, is operationally it was, it was incredible, 500 kilometers from Israel, tracking this, locating it, and storming it in the middle of the night. But the most incredible thing for me was to see the shipment itself of what the Iranians, the package... Iranians prepared for the Palestinians. Just think that for months they were, they, they did procurement and, and uh, planned this with the Iranians, had this shipped from all the factories. There, there were just, you know, hundreds and hundreds of various pieces of equipments from Katyusha rockets and Dragunov sniper rifles, AK-47s, C4, you know, right from the factory, explosives, high explosives. Um, all brand new with their packages, with their user manuals, unbelievable unbelievable really a strategic capability that was supposed to give the palestinians the ability to uh, to tip the balance actually with israel and remember this is all for terrorism for mm. explosive belts for raining down rockets on israeli civilians it's, it's not a military that's preparing for tanks it's a, it's a terror army to terrorize israelis and kill israelis so when you see that uh, you you understand the magnitude of what's going on here. Now, that was just a component. So we stopped one ship. There were others, by the way. The Santorini is another case. Yeah. Now, what's with the shipments that we didn't find that got through? This was a very sophisticated uh, system, by the way. They had these canisters that were supposed to be submerged with a buoy on top. Just think about that. They're supposed to submerge them with with, air, with this air tank. Then the Palestinians would come out, find the buoy, pull it up, and haul it to shore. So actually, under the leadership of Shaul Mufaz, that was the Mm. chief of general staff, we thwarted a a serious, serious strategic capability from the Palestinians, but all this just tells us what's going on. It's a long-term campaign, and they are not stopping.
1: No, they're not. As we speak, too. That shipment was obviously earmarked for uh, to get into... the the Palestinian enclave, uh, uh, and then continue also northward, uh, part of it at least, from what I understood, also to Lebanon. Uh, So there were various components in there. Everything was earmarked against Israel, all of that. And I remember just several months later, there was an explosion here in Jerusalem by a suicide bomber that uh, actually took uh, both legs from one of the girls in my own class. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you, you understand the magnitude of how many of those explosions were averted by this. But at the same time, of course, unfortunately, the enemy does not relent. And it continues and it is preparing. Um, it is becoming smarter. It's studying us very closely. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, we also understand the significance of what is being done uh, with regard to the Mabam. Uh, campaign between the mm-hmm. wars also you understand
0: you know israel many times when you listen to israelis it sounds like yeah you're pushing your propaganda or your narratives talking about iran or when we say hezbollah and hamas are like forward operating bases of iran proxy war mm-hmm. so if you don't really see it with your own eyes sometimes you can mm-hmm. say yeah israelis are trying to bash the iran when you see this you understand no this is an ongoing operation you know, Iran have this strategic long-term goal of wiping us off the map, that's what they say, and then you see that that's what they do. They mm. stop at nothing. This is funded, this is, you know, this operational arm all over the Middle East. And what we do in the Mabam and in operations like this, it's always just to try to take away another capability, to thwart another strategic uh, terror operation.
1: It's an ongoing fight, and therefore intelligence is vital. Uh, tracking those, of course, pinpointing this one vessel in 500 kilometers away from the state of Israel and some waterway where uh, obviously there's also a lot of civilian shipping. Uh, Just to think about uh, the the area that it was taken, a third of oil input uh, or transport passes through that waterway. So ultimately, the Iranians are using civilian vessels. Of course, uh, uh, as we reported here on TV7 Israel News last week, uh, citing intelligence officials, Iran is utilizing civilian aircraft and civilian trucks in order to transfer those weapons, in order to try and avoid those kind of operations that would thwart their capacity of of Mm -hmm. transmitting uh, those uh, sophisticated weaponry. Uh, and
0: you know we say we use the term asymmetric warfare and when we say asymmetric many times we think like we have an army with tanks and planes and then the other hand, you have you on the side you have terror organizations so you think many times it's the tactics it's the weapons you know but it's much much more than that asymmetric also means that as a democracy you are bound by and i when i say bound it sounds negative no but we're proud to be bound mm-hmm. by values the way we operate and we, we think, we calculate very carefully what to do, not to harm civilians, to do everything from international law to our own values. And when you fight an enemy that has no limits, has no bounds, how do you even fight? Right. We see that even in the Palestinian territories where they'll take ambulances to move explosive belts from place to place. You know, Whoa, wait a minute. Why would you do that? you understand that if our intelligence locates five of these ambulances then, and we start taking them out, there's more a chance, unfortunately, that a real ambulance will get hurt. Take the ambulances out. You know, that's how you do warfare, not for terrorists. Um, very, very interesting to see that, that imbalance. So it's, it's at all levels.
1: Well, taking, for instance, uh, another example, I think, that uh, Hezbollah was utilizing at the time. Uh, children were seen, at least I saw with my own eyes, taking bags and going from house to house, dragging them. And you see 10-year-old children carrying bags, which you know that intelligence tells you. There are uh, uh, terror operatives in one house, terror operatives in another, and they're transporting those munitions from side to side. And you ask yourself, how can somebody do something just so, you know, it's, it's unimaginable? Another, another, you reminded me, another
0: part of this asymmetry is that what are we trying to do? All the time, for years, right now, in Lebanon, in Gaza, just, just think about it. An IDF soldier, as we speak, he wakes up in the morning. What are his, his thoughts? I want to defend my family, my home, my country. I, I want to search for the terrorists that may be trying to kill men, women, and children in their sleep, right? That, that's what he thinks. Do we think... We want to hurt someone? No, absolutely not. Do we want war? No. Never. But, but notice how, how crazy this is. On the, other, on the other hand, our enemies, they get up in the morning. What is their agenda? And I'm sorry to say this. We want to kill as many Israelis as possible. That, that means they're trying to find a way to kill anybody they can, anybody they can put their hands on, preferably, by the way, civilians, because it's easier. And remember that if a Hezbollah operative attacks an IDF soldier... I don't call that terrorism. Yes, Hezbollah is a terror organization, but you know when they attack an IDF convoy, that's warfare. Right? Okay? You can call it different names. Right. That's not terrorism. But if you shoot at an Israeli village, which is their main tactic because it's easy, that is certainly terrorism. Right. And when terrorists takes, takes a knife, breaks into a house and slaughters children in their beds, terrorism. And just think that that's what people they're trying to do, and that's what we're trying to stop. It's just, it,
1: it's not parallel. No, it's it's much to think about, of course. Uh, I think also one of the angles that um, ultimately, uh, for instance, um, the blockade imposed on, on the Gaza Strip, obviously four years uh, and a half, roughly after uh, the Karin A incident, uh, which uh, you partook in, the the. Israel disengaged from the Gaza Strip. We had then, following that, uh, Hamas and Fatah uh, battling one another. Uh, Hamas came on top ultimately, and they took over the Gaza Strip. They seized control over the Gaza Strip. Uh, ironically, after winning the election and not receiving the the um, follow-up uh, of basically, uh, there was no transition of power, and that is something that. People tend to negate when talking about the Palestinian Authority, which remains Western backed. It's it's something that occurred that was undemocratic. Thankfully, right. it happened because if Hamas was in power, we would have seen a different reality here altogether. But Israel imposed a blockade on on the Hamas-controlled Gaza Strip because of that smuggling, because of those thousands of of weapons being flooded into the Gaza Strip, a territory which is very tribal. Again, a lot of families uh, affiliating themselves with the Iranian proxy, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, of course, Hamas, uh, Salafist uh, organizations and others. And Israel had to close its own borders. On the other hand, by the way, Egypt also closed the border. But nobody talks about Egypt. Everybody talks about Israel. We have roughly one minute left, and uh, we will continue, obviously, our discussion for next week. But what do you think is the most important ingredient that we should focus on right now in 30 seconds? In general? In general. Wow. Well, it's very clear that first we have to
0: uh, get the internal dialogue on track. And make sure that we stabilize because the, the, the strength of our community is what holds us together. From our military to our civil society, I would say the key component of Israeli national security is not the military. It's our civil, civilization. Uh, it's our um, ability to stick together and be, have the resolve because this is a long fight. It's been going on more than 100 years. And it will hopefully will go on for another 100 years. That's our goal, to sustain our homeland. So I think that's the most important thing, the resilience, the internal resilience.
1: Current on reserve, Reuven Shalom. It's always a pleasure talking with thank you. Thank you very much. And I'd like to thank all of you at home as well. Hopefully you, you got some uh, additional information that was uh, uh, helpful to better understand the situation. Um, but until next time, uh, next week, for yet another edition of TV7 Editor's Note. Shalom.